Today, we're going to talk about preventing cheats in your game. Hey everyone, welcome to the 71st episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore and tune in for Game Dev streams at twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have an open community discord. There's a link for that in the show notes. With the intro out of the way, let's move on over to the Game Dev Challenge. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners, and it's intended to be like a 15 to 30 minute exercise that kind of cements the themes and lessons from the show. It's supposed to give you an opportunity to test out the knowledge that you've just learned. Last episode was about getting a job or a career in game dev and we talked about portfolios and the game dev challenge was to present your portfolio now the person that got the most likes was actually prescott lawani who was the guest of our previous bonus episode so yeah we just did a whole (laughs) thing um i feel like it we can shine the spotlight maybe on uh the second place person and give them the win so the winner of the episode 70 game dev challenge is Andrew Cohen, also known as Booyah Grandma. Now, Andrew's portfolio is really cool because it actually has a lot of visual effects work, including an entire uh, YouTube video of like a CGI demo reel. And it just goes to show that there are so many different roles you can go for in a career in game dev, and your portfolio really has to be tailored to your skills. And I think Andrew did a really good job of showing off like their most impressive work right up front. I mean, when you open the portfolio, it goes straight to the video. So there's no way you're missing this. And it's really good. It's it's really cool CG or visual effects or I'm not an expert in this area. I think it's called visual effects. I don't know, but it's a really cool demo reel and worth watching. And yeah, I think if you're considering like, what should my portfolio look like? You might be best off just going through everyone's and trying to find someone who's going for a similar role as you and seeing what theirs looks like. I, of course, posted mine as well, so if you want one for uh, game design, like a game design-focused one, feel free to use mine as an example. But I don't want to take the spotlight off of Andrew too much, so yeah, congrats to Andrew for winning the episode 70 game dev challenge for the episode 71 game dev challenge i would like you to design a gray area cheat that could be used as an unlockable or power up in your game later in the episode we're going to talk about cheats and how not all of them are bad and sometimes they make for really good power ups or unlockables and yeah i think if you can identify a good cheat for your game you might actually identify the problem in the first place uh, why someone would cheat For instance, if you make a cheat to get past a part that's too hard, uh, then you know that the root cause is that that part of the game is too hard. So doing little exercises like this, I think is kind of a good way for unlocking maybe an alternative perspective to identifying maybe some flaws in your game or some areas where players might want to cheat. 
But yeah, we're going to talk about that in depth later. When the episode is finished, feel free to go on over to the Game Dev Challenge channel on the Community Discord and participate in this Game Dev Challenge by making a post about the gray area cheat for your game. So with the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is an overview on cheats and cheating in general. We're going to talk about everything from how to prevent cheating, uh, maybe even how to encourage it, or the reason why you might want to do one or the other. Uh, But I guess the first topic I want to mention is sort of tangential to cheating. But if I don't fit it in this episode, I'm not sure where else I ever would. So I want to quickly talk about piracy, which, if you think about it, is sort of the biggest cheat you can do in a game. If we take a simple definition of cheating to be doing something that's outside the rules of the game, then of course breaking the pay-to-play rule is cheating like at the very first chance you get. Now, I don't mean to get into the ethics of piracy. I think that's kind of a different topic, but what I do want to talk about is as a game dev, what should you do about piracy? And I think the answer might actually surprise you. Uh, I would say for 99% of indie devs, the answer is nothing. I'm not saying it's not an issue and you should just leak your game's final build out on the high seas. But I think for most people, any prevention methods you try to take simply won't be worth the effort. Even AAA games seem to have come to this conclusion. Do you remember when always online DRM games were a thing? Essentially, if you didn't know, there was a time maybe around the early like 2010s where AAA companies were very scared of piracy and in order to crack down and maybe turn all games into live service games, which, you know, <laughs> that that part actually might have still happened. But either way, another angle to this in the early 2010s was the piracy. And this is when a lot of games were turning into always online games. The reason they did this is they could check the integrity of the files and see that they were legit on their own servers at all times. Which meant that even for single player games, you had to be always online to play them. And of course, this ended disastrously. As basically you had to sometimes even wait in a queue to play an offline single player game that you owned. And like I said, there's still a little bit of that DRM, always online, live service, AAA game stuff today. Uh, But it's mostly like online multiplayer games. In this era, it was even for single player games. And it was just crazy. And the reason you don't see it that much anymore is because it didn't work. For all the resources that AAA games had at their disposal then... They couldn't keep their game from getting cracked, and they still can't keep their game from getting cracked. Even today, you'll see AAA games that get packaged with these anti-piracy, I don't know, tools, and you'll even see those games get cracked, sometimes hours after their release. So, as an indie, I don't really think it's worth it to try and prevent it. And I don't mean to make it sound like you should just give up and give in to the pirates, I think there's actually a positive side to this in that if your game is appropriately priced, people genuinely want to pay for a good product, especially if it supports an indie dev. I honestly believe that there's so few people who would rather go through all of the hassle of cracking a game uh, when they can just buy it on Steam in the first place for a good price. And I don't mean to make it sound like you shouldn't be doing anything 
uh, to prevent pirates. Like, definitely only use trusted distribution platforms. Only give keys out to people who you have, like, identified as being beneficial to you. Uh, if you ever do release a game on Steam, by the way, you're going to get a bunch of emails from people wanting keys for the game, and they're going to say, like, oh, I have a giant audience to show your game to. But these are almost always, and I mean, like, 99% of the time, uh, just key resale scams. So, yeah, only give keys out to people who uh, you think will genuinely benefit your game and verify that, like, they're actually a content creator, <laughs> actually have an audience, and, uh, yeah, just take those other automated emails and just put those straight in the trash. But other than that, I think you don't really have to worry that much about preventing piracy. Just price your game fairly, make sure it's available to people, and... If some lowlifes are going to pirate your game, then I, I guess they're just going to pirate it. Now, one thing you can do that's actually really fun is uh, make some diabolical traps and punishments for the pirates. The flaw of this is detecting a pirated copy, which if some of you really advanced code people out there know like a foolproof way of doing this, uh, please post about it in the episode discussion channel on our community Discord. I actually I don't know of a way to detect a pirated copy like I don't know of a foolproof way and that's the hardest part of this equation but if you can figure that out and I know it's doable because there's plenty of good game examples of pirate traps one of my favorites is from game dev tycoon which is a business sim game where you run a game studio and if the game detects it's been pirated it will force the player to lose in a really clever way Essentially, the player's game dev business will stop making money despite making really good games, and a message will come up and say something along the lines of, despite our game being successful and popular, we were unable to stay in business due to lost revenue from pirated copies. It's a very meta thing, and you know at least one person who pirated the game saw that, and it made them reconsider their choices. And yeah, I think pirate traps are really fun and really cool, almost like, uh, I don't know, diabolical game design. So yeah, is it the most effective way of deterring pirates? I don't think so, but it is really fun. And that kind of brings me to the last point about piracy, um, which is if you are an indie game dev, which if you're listening right now, you're 71 episodes deep, you might only have a <laughs> theoretical knowledge of game dev, but you can call it, I give you the power to call yourself a game dev. Uh, and now that you don't have the self-doubt about wondering, you'll know that I'm talking to you. Now that you are a game dev, do not pirate games from other game devs. I understand there are legitimate arguments for situations like abandonware or ROM hacks or transformative mods, but for strictly commercial games, especially from other solo indie devs or really any indie devs, you can't be a part of the indie game dev community yourself and steal from other indie game devs or pirate their work. And I don't really ever give you guys like hard rules uh, on the show, but about this one particular subject, I just wanted to make it clear that you can't steal from your own community. We have to, as indie game devs, support each other because it's, you know, it's really hard. And I totally understand like you can't buy everyone's games. Uh, and support them in that way, but don't like <laughs> become straight up a villain and anti-support them uh, by pirating the games. Just don't do it. 
So yeah, I know that was kind of a weird intro. Uh, Let's get into the actual meat of today's episode. So I alluded earlier that a definition of cheating could be the player intentionally breaking rules of the game, usually to try and circumvent the game's challenges or gain an advantage over other players. And let's visit that second case first. Situations where players are cheating to gain a competitive advantage over other players. Now I want to start by setting your expectations and letting you know that keeping people from cheating is pretty difficult in a competitive setting. People will go to extreme lengths just for the slightest gain in ELO or matchmaking rank. But if you think about it, it's actually a good problem to have. If people care enough about your game to cheat at it, that means it's doing something right. So let's just start with a basic tip that will get you mostly there. And then anything after that, you'll have to use a third-party tool or hire an anti-cheat specialist, which, again, if you're in that position, it's a good thing. Okay, my biggest tip for slowing down cheaters on a competitive or online game is make as much important stuff as possible happen on the server side. We've talked before about the server-client relationship. I think I mentioned it in episode 24, Multiplayer Fundamentals. But if you don't remember, a quick refresher... When you're doing a game with a server-client relationship, you have the server, which is like the central brain, and then you have your player's computers, which are the clients. The clients take inputs from the player and send them up to the server, and the server takes everyone's inputs, sort of like what a dungeon master does, and decides what happens. Then, the server sends that info back to the clients whose computers render and show what happened. Now, to make your life easy in preventing cheating, Make sure all the important stuff, like a damage calculation for instance, is done on the server side. If I'm a cheater, it's much easier for me to manipulate a thing like a damage calculation if it's being done on my own computer rather than a protected server. My computer, as the cheater, should be solely responsible for rendering graphics and taking inputs from the player. And it doesn't always work out that way for various other reasons. Um, There's not always that perfect divide between server and clients. Like maybe you are doing something on the client side because um, it's really computationally intensive and you don't want to do it on your server. But let's just say you kept it clean and the clients are only responsible for rendering and taking in inputs. That means that where the first vectors, if there is cheating on your game, the first like weak points or vectors for cheating are going to be in those two things. Because if my computer can only control how my computer renders the game and takes inputs from me, that means the only two things I really can manipulate are those two things. Maybe I can get a visual advantage, like being able to see other players first by changing the rendering distance or making them have a bright green highlight. And it's kind of hard because for that stuff, there's actually like a fine line between personal preference and cheating when it comes to visual stuff. So yeah, I guess you'll have to use your own discretion for your game when deciding where that line is for you. Now the input side of things leaves the door open for things like keyboard and control macros. Situations where people can have superhuman inputs that allows them to gain an advantage. You can counter stuff like this by doing something like capping the max amount of inputs in a short period of time. But again, this is going to be very different for different kinds of games, so you have to apply your design skills to coming up with exact counters. Like I said earlier, cheats go further than that, way further than that. 
But those basic things of keeping the important stuff on the server side and narrowing down where possible cheats could come from gives you like a really strong and solid base to at least countering it a little bit before you have to start getting into the more expensive and hard solutions. Okay, let's talk about a different cheating scenario. Let's talk about cheating to get around the rules in a single player game. I think the most important thing to do in this case is ask yourself, why is or would the player cheat? By answering this, we can come to some important conclusions about our own game and what to do about it. The first case they might be cheating is because of difficulty. In other words, the game is too hard. Now, in the same case as before, if you find out that players are cheating because the game is too hard, this is actually a good problem to have. That means that fundamentally there is a great hook in your game. Because for 99% of games that are too hard, the players just move on to something else. So if they're sticking around and cheating, maybe all you need to do is tweak the balance. Maybe the answer is not actually even banning the cheats, at least not all the way. In some cases, identifying the way the players are cheating is a really good way to understand how the game needs to be balanced or even to come up with some really cool gray area cheats. And I call these gray area cheats because sometimes you might want to let this stuff be allowed or even encourage it. You could implement these things as cool power-ups or fun hidden mechanics. And I guess that brings me to my next point, which is sometimes players cheat just because it's fun. And in the big picture, is the point of the games not to have fun? I think as long as it's not taking away from others' fun, this kind of cheating, I would just say, just let it happen. Or at least before you break your back trying to hunt down all the edge cases and crazy exploits, consider if what you're doing is really serving the greater purpose of the game. As I said, if the greater purpose of the game is to have fun, then sometimes you just want to let your players cheat for fun. Now you might be listening up to this point and think that I'm taking a pretty strong allow cheating stance, but I'd like to bring to you one of the core flaws of that philosophy, and that's that gamers are cheating degenerates. <laughs> There's no other better way to put it, and I don't mean it like in a negative way, I just mean it in that they're human. They'll cheat for short-term fun as anyone would, but this will actually ruin the long-term satisfaction of the game for themselves. A better way to put it maybe would be that they'll cheapen the experience if given the chance. Like, think about it this way. Does Elden Ring or Dark Souls or any of those games have as big of an impact if it was easy to cheat in them? And I know I just heard someone cough and under their breath say roll spam, uh, but that's kind of what I mean. The difficulty in those games is the source of the fun. And I think easily accessible cheats and exploits would severely damage the game. Again, this comes down to understanding the source of fun in your game and figuring out the big picture, and whether or not cheating is going to be a big concern for you to prevent is going to heavily depend on identifying that big picture design. So let's say we know that you do want to prevent cheating, or at least maybe you want to take some baseline fundamental steps to preventing cheating in your single player game. And we have to make a big assumption right off the start, but it's kind of, there's no other way to do this episode in a timely manner. This is kind of a whole other topic, but let's just make the assumption that your game doesn't have any exploitable bugs. That kind of falls into a category of cheating that's more about exploits and bug hunting. So yeah, let's just pretend that your game doesn't have any exploits or bugs and that's not the way that players are cheating in your game. I want to talk about a flaw that literally allows people to break the game very intentionally. And this is a flaw that I know a lot of beginner game devs have 
and it allows them to easily be cheated. And I guess if no one told you about this, then yeah, you might not know about it. So I'd like to enlighten you now. The biggest flaw that beginner game devs make when it comes to cheating is that they don't protect or hide or at least obfuscate. How do you say that word? <laughs> obfuscate obfuscate. I think that's it. They don't obfuscate their save data. It's funny that I wrote that word and I've read that word. I know what it means, but I've never said it out loud. Anyways, what do I mean by obfuscating or protecting your save data? Let's just take a really simple example where I oversimplify some things so you can adjust it to your situation. Let's say you're making a game where your player has an inventory. And also the, in this game, there are item rarities. So, you know, you have commons and uncommons and rares, etc. Let's say you're saving what is in the player's inventory as a game data file called player inventory. Well, if the player is able to find that file on their computer, and if it's human readable, meaning that the player inventory file says all the things that's in the inventory, like common sword one and uncommon shield five, the player can just write into that file rare helmet three with a text editor. And if they wrote it right, when the data is loaded, they'll have the helmet. They can do this with a whole bunch of stuff with the data. Why not just make their character level 99 while they're at it? When you have unprotected save data that is human readable, you can manipulate it in any way you want. And this is kind of actually basically the foundation of modding video games. But today's not about modding. Uh, we want to make it just hard enough that most people won't bother with this and they'll just play the game. So remember that the file has to be human readable for this to be really easy for a cheater. So what I recommend and what a lot of game devs do is they learn to code in the dark tongue of Mordor. <laughs> uh, it's such a stupid joke. <laughs> I couldn't even finish my own really nerdy joke, but <laughs> no, you don't have to learn how to code in the dark tongue of Mordor. Uh, what you really should do is just make your save data so it isn't so easily manipulatable. Uh, the simplest solution for this, I think, is encryption. And this is getting into like security stuff, which I'm definitely not an expert in. But if you Google or go onto YouTube and search Unity encrypted save data or whatever tools you use, um, you'll be on the right track. You'll find something. Or if you're like me and that sounds like a lot of work, plus you're not a great coder like me, uh, just use a third-party plugin for encrypting. Uh, honestly, I do it for all of my saving and loading system. I just use Easy Save from the Unity Asset Store. I'm not sponsored by them, but by the amount of times I've talked about them, I really should reach out and get a sponsorship. Uh, yeah, I've talked about the plugin before. It's just another situation where it's really useful. If you only buy one thing from the Unity Asset Store, maybe you're looking, uh, you're like, okay, I'm a serious Unity dev now. What's one thing I should have? I would say Easy Save has got to be at the top of your list. It has encryption built in. And if I remember right, it's literally a checkbox that you turn on and set a passkey for. So yeah, it's a really quick and easy way to get around this uh, and put just a little bit of protection on your saves and your game data. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, can't you just use some unencryption tools to break it? And the answer is, yeah, you probably can. But if someone's going to go through all that trouble just to cheat at your little indie game, then yeah, it's kind of like 
you're not going to put a lot of time into this <laughs> to just prevent that one person from doing that. Most people will just play through it uh, without going through any of that. Like I said, you got to make it just hard enough where it's not worth the effort. And in fact, let's do some reverse psychology here. If you just have unlockable cheats that are visible to the player, like an unlock system that says beat the whole game and you unlock god mode, I bet more people would go through the entire game just to get god mode and have that unlock than go into the data and just turn it on. And that kind of brings me to my next point, which is if you're a beginner game dev, this is probably something you don't really even have to worry about. I'm not a beginner game dev, and I still don't really worry about this other than checking the box to encrypt the save data. But if that sounds like it's a little out of your skill level or you can't afford a plugin for it or something like that, you would be much better off just spending your time on focusing on making a really strong core game loop or purposely making fun cheats that are unlockable and balancing them as power-ups. And I don't mean to end the episode on a downer like all of the things I just said doesn't matter, because it's definitely a nice bit of polish and can matter a lot actually in multiplayer games. But I'm always interested in giving you guys the best information that's going to be the most helpful to you, even if it messes up the pacing of my podcast episode. And the truth is, preventing cheating in your game is probably lower on the list of priorities for a lot of indie devs. So I think the best thing to do would be to make sure that you have a game that is worthy of people wanting to cheat at it first, then worry about prevention. Let's do a quick summary of the show today. Today's episode was on preventing cheating in your games. The first thing we talked about was actual piracy, which is kind of like the ultimate video game cheat. Remember that for 99% of indie devs, you're kind of wasting your time putting a lot of effort into preventing piracy. Of course, you should do the basic things like only distribute your game on trusted platforms and don't give keys to random influencers that email you and ask you for them. And if you really want to get creative, come up with some diabolical traps to ruin the pirate's play experience on a cracked copy. Remember that now that you are a game dev, I personally forbid you from pirating other game devs' work. It's literally stealing from your own community, so yeah, just don't do it. Remember that cheating is usually done in the name of gaining an advantage over others or overcoming a game's challenge. For multiplayer games, the best way to prevent cheating is to handle all the important stuff on the server side. Leave the client side to just render and handle inputs. And remember that if a player is going to cheat, the first place you should look is in those things that are happening on the client side, like inputs and rendering. On the single player side, maybe you want to consider why is the player cheating in the first place. And if it's in the name of fun, I wouldn't prevent them from doing it. I might even help them with a little bit more balanced way of doing things, like a gray area, unlockable cheat, or a limited time power-up. I don't want your big takeaway to be from this episode that cheating is always allowable. And in some cases, it might actually uh, allow the player to cheapen their own experience. Think about the Dark Souls example. A player would ruin their own experience if they were able to cheat easily. So in cases like that, I would say the the very first like fundamental thing you could do is at least encrypt your save game data so that it can't easily be manipulated. But don't forget that your time is probably better spent making a game with a great core game loop that is so engaging that the player wouldn't want to cheat in the first place. 
If you mix that philosophy with some of the basic precautions we talked about today, you'll make a game that even for the brief second that someone wants to cheat, it would just be more fun for them and less of a hassle to just play the game. And I think that's the perfect sweet spot and the perfect way to prevent cheating for indie devs. So yeah, that's going to do it for me today. Uh, I actually want to apologize. This was supposed to be a January topic picked by the patrons. And uh, yeah, I just, I moved to a new city. I started a new job and I fell behind on some writing. So yeah, I want to apologize to the patrons. I'm sorry this episode's late. Now that I have this out, I'll have the next one out and we should be all caught up. So thank you so much for your support. And yeah, I just feel a little bad that this is late. But things just got a little crazy. Speaking of a little crazy, I have been sort of updating what's been going on with my job on my Twitter. That's at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. I've been writing some um, game dev logs for my actual company now. And there's a link to the latest one on my uh, Twitter. So yeah, if you're curious about that, go check it out. That's at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. And lastly, uh, I have decided what my new stream schedule is going to be, but I haven't really gone public with it yet just because I'm waiting to get some of the final things for my setup. So yeah, streaming will be back soon. I just have to put together like a few final pieces. And to tell you the truth, I actually really miss streaming. So I'm excited to get back at it. Anyways, with all that, I think I'm going to sign off. I have been Zaccavelli. Ash podcast. Ooh, Ash game dev u dub u uluk.